Welcome to another episode of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. I'm Adam Yurick, along with Jim Massessa. And today's episode features Dazed and Confused. Jim's going to take us through the official Criterion summary and specs. America, 1976, the last day of school. Bongs blaze, bell bottoms ring, and rock and roll rules. Among the best teen films ever made, Dazed and Confused, directed by Richard Linkletter, eavesdrops on a group of seniors-to-be and incoming freshmen. A launching pad for a number of future stars, Linkletter's first studio effort also features endlessly quotable dialogue and a blasting stadium-ready soundtrack. Sidestepping nostalgia, Dazed and Confused is less about the best years of our lives than the boredom, angst, and excitement of teenagers waiting for something to happen. This movie came out in 1993. I believe last year was the, they had a special like 25th anniversary. It's 102 minutes long. It's in color, 5.1 surround sound, 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio. This is on Blu-ray. And if you're following the numbers at home, this is criterion number 336. Yeah, I think this is the uh, third high school movie we've done. Uh, We did Election and we did The Breakfast Club. So I think that's three. I don't know if we did another one that I'm forgetting. Uh, Yeah, that might be it. But it's the second movie in a row with Ben Affleck. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. We Armageddon. weren't really thinking about last episode. Uh, I mean, or maybe hey, we were. Maybe that was subconscious. And that's why we picked this one. <laughs> maybe, maybe. It just felt like the, you know, a decent movie to do. Get a movie there. Another movie in the 90s. Yep. Or was no Armageddon well, was 2000 and 2000, 2001. Was it? Yeah. No, it was 98, wasn't it? Was it? Oh, yeah. No, it was 98. Yeah, right, 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 right. Go back yeah. and listen to shows, our last shows, episode. <laughs> exactly. There you go. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, so Richard Linkletter, who, um, you know, I mean, this is probably, for sure, it's his breakout film. Yeah. Uh, he had done a movie before that called Slacker, mm-hmm. uh, which was okay. Didn't really didn't really do do much. And, and this movie, too, was not like pretty much not a bomb at the box office but uh it didn't really get much distribution at all it kind of after it was made i think the studio just kind of didn't really put the type of push behind it that had been expected and it only went out to a handful of theaters and it was really getting played at a lot of colleges and and theaters late at night would just run the movie like all night long uh during the summers and stuff like that that kind of got its cult cult following yeah i know specifically uh one guy that i work with who uh was uh, in college when this movie came out he uh was saying that he kind of got into it when uh it was being played at the the school theater and stuff like that and became like a big big popular movie also at the same time because he uh he felt he was kind of in the same state that all the characters kind of were from a uh uh, intoxication perspective as well yeah that guy sounds pretty cool he must be he must be quite the guy to hang out with (laughs) It's not. It's not you, Jim. In case that's what you were. Oh, what you right. were thinking? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. Uh, but also, so so Linkletter um, did uh, other movies that he's done that have you know uh, that he's done uh, Boyhood, which was a, a really cool movie, unique, unique film, and he's he did the Before Sunrise trilogy. I think it's called the the first movie is called Before Sunrise. I don't know if it, the trilogy's called something else, but it's Before Sunrise, After Sunset. I think it's just called the Before trilogy. Yeah, the Before yeah. trilogy. Okay. Which I, I own those now. Those are in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, they are. So we'll we'll put those on the list. I think actually even Slacker's in the Criterion Collection. Uh, and Boyhood is in the Criterion Collection as well. The two movies of his that aren't in the Criterion Collection, at least are, that are notable, are uh, School of Rock, good uh, Jack Black flick, 
and uh, a scanner darkly i don't know if you've ever seen a scanner darkly with uh, keanu reeves that's not criterion i don't i thought maybe that was uh it might be i'll have to check it out but that's a kind of odd animated movie that took uh took like a year and a half to animate because they shot the movie on like a mini dv camera and then animated over top of it yeah i tried to watch that once and it was i couldn't do it it was too um too weird yeah it's a hard movie to watch just because of the animation style it's also just a weird movie he's got a movie um coming out a little later this year which is based on a book that i read a few years ago where'd you go bernadette i've watched the trailers for it It looks i mean it looks just like the book was but that's got an amazing cast it's like kate blanchett Kristen Wiig, Lawrence Fishburne, Judy Greer. Oh, wow, nice. There's a ton of people in that one. You want to talk about directing since we're on Richard Linklater? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I he's clearly a, a great director. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think this movie was probably, from a directing standpoint, was probably most about getting good performances out of the actors. You had a lot of actors that were, hey, this was their first shot. Right. A ton of people. I mean, Ben Affleck was just one of his first films. This was really Matthew McConaughey's first film, his huge break. Yeah. I mean, he kind of took over the movie uh, with his performance. Mila, jo- Mila Jovovich. Yeah. And I mean, Parker Posey had kind of been in some stuff, but you, I mean, this was again, like a big, a big movie that they were, that they were in. Joey Lauren Adams. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, she didn't really go on to do much, but. Well, she's been in, I mean, she was in a lot of the um, Jay and Silent Bob movies and that whole genre right, she didn't really go on to do much no you had like you had like adam goldberg um oh yeah nikki cat yeah. who are some good character actors you know uh marissa uh, rabisi who uh, whose brother giovanni rabisi has you know was pretty well known character actor you know he was in like um those big blockbuster movies is like the kind of always this weird guy like gone in 60 seconds he was in that he was uh, nicholas cage's character's brother he was in the movie uh section was it section eight Basic, that's what it's called. Basic. He's the crazy guy in that movie. So, hmm. from a directing standpoint, you really see that he worked with those actors and it was his movie through and through. I mean, he wrote the movie, he directed it, he really pushed to try to get producing and, you know, control over over the movie. It sounds like he was pretty heavy in, in editing the film as well. So, from a directing standpoint, it's definitely a, definitely a great movie. So, I watched the whole movie regularly and then i went back and watched the director's cut which i don't think i not the director's cut the director's commentary i guess Mm -hmm. which i don't normally do but it was actually pretty interesting Uh, he talked about a lot of the shots and how much of a struggle it was to get a lot of this it it really sounded like it was a, a big fight with the studio to get the vision that he wanted and there's actually an article that the guardian just put out I think it was last month, maybe. So it's an interview with Richard Linkletter and Wiley Wiggins, who is uh, Mitch in the movie. Right. And basically, I mean, reading that interview, it was almost word for word taken from the special features on the Criterion disc. Okay. So if if you don't have the, the disc, definitely read that article. We'll put it in the show notes. But it's pretty interesting. They talked about not using a Steadicam in most shots because he was trying to give it more of that 70s feel to it, kind of like a drive-in movie. He talked about how when he was first picking the cast, he made mixtapes for everybody of the music that he thought their characters would listen to so that that could help get them in the mood and in the right mindset to be that mm-hmm. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard, I had heard that, yeah. I mean, that was very interesting, especially considering the music in this movie, which we'll get to. But he also said that some of the actors weren't really vibing well, and he's 
he named Sean Andrews, who plays Pickford. And I guess Pickford was supposed to have a much bigger part. And because he wasn't getting along with some of the cast members or Linkletter said vibing. Anyway, that's when he really started beefing up Matthew McConaughey's role and gave him more to do in the movie. So I guess some of those scenes were supposed to be Pickford's and uh, he had to switch them. Yeah, I had I had I had heard that, too. I mean, the plot of the movie, of course, is that it's the last day of school, 1976, and you're kind of introduced to some of these characters and you're introduced to Pink. He's the quarterback for the football team. Doesn't really look very much like a football player, but, um, (laughs) you know, he's given this letter that he has to sign that commits to saying that he's not going to do drugs. His teammates are all like, yeah, just do it, bud. Like, you know, whatever, sign the thing. And for whatever reason, he really decides it's not something that he wants to do. So there's kind of that like C plot running throughout the film where they're always trying to like make sure he signs it and kind of get that thing. But I feel like the other aspect of this movie is just this obsession with hazing the, you know, incoming freshmen. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, almost sadistically in a way. It's kind of like the three main plots of the movie. One is this recurring thing of, of Pink and his character and this thing that he has to sign the obsession with like Affleck's character O'Banion and the other characters trying to go after all these incoming freshmen to haze them and uh, as they're coming into high school. And then two, just more or less like it's this summertime, like the beginning of summer and uh, school's done. They have nothing to worry about the beginning of that, the first parties and all that type of stuff that they're they're all kind of getting into. For me, it was interesting about this movie is as I was sitting there, I wrote a note, which was then later confirmed when I watched the special features, was that I was like, oh, this movie reminds me a lot of George Lucas's American Graffiti, which came out in 1973, was set in 1962, and is very similar in the fact that it's this movie, school is over, they're kind of driving around in their cars, like Ron Howard, Richard Dreyfuss, too, and the characters, they're all kind of plotting their next steps. They're seniors that just graduated from high school. They're leaving this town, they're going on to do something else, where this movie is really interesting in that it is a high school movie that is, they're not seniors. Like Right, right. They're becoming seniors, most of them. Right, which is really interesting. I don't think you see a lot of high school movies that are centered around people plotting like what they're going to do next, and they're not seniors like going on to the next phase of their life. They're going to be back in school. So it's kind of like, it's a really interesting way. And, and Linkletter said that he was trying, to, he wanted to write American Graffiti, but for the 70s. Right. And, yeah. you know, I mean, if you were to go watch American Graffiti and then watch Days and Confused, you would see a lot of parallels into, you know, just some general themes. But I just thought it was interesting to see a high school movie. Hey, these kids are juniors or these kids are going to be freshmen. And, you know, they're kind of, figuring out like, oh, I'm Pink's whole thing is like he's coming back to play football. He's not really sure he wants to play football again. Just kind of an interesting thing. Uh, You don't really see that much with like a high school movie. His, I guess, best friend, Don, who's played by Sasha Jensen. When this movie came out, that actor was 29 years old. Oh, wow. That's funny. And he's supposed to be playing a kid in 11th grade. (laughs) He's got a very like... uh, I mean, he, lo- he looks like he would be a sports player, like he's gotten hit in the face a few times. His face was kind of, you know, like, um, yeah, 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 chunky, I would say. Yep. This is one of those movies where almost nobody, the younger kids excluded, but n- none of the older kids look like they belonged in 11th grade because that would be like 15, 16 years old for, for some of these kids. And that's nah, no way. 
But it, it was nice to your point that these are not, it's not a senior movie where they're all like, what are we doing for college? Some of the kids talk about it a little bit, but the main plot, the main driving device is just next year, what's going to happen when they're coming back to school. So there's, it's so low stakes that there's hardly any plot to this movie. And I, I think Linkletter even said in that interview that the whole signing of the drug agreement, it wasn't that big in the plot when he first wrote it. But when he was pitching the movie, they were saying, what, what's what's the plot? Like, what's happening? This is just people like driving around, not doing anything. So he kind of had to build that up at the end with that final confrontation with the coach and all that. Even that aside, it's still an interesting movie. And I don't normally like movies like this where there's there's no real stakes to it. But there's so many different characters and different groups. You know, you kind of jump from one group to the other. I think that really kept it interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's in some cases you're like, all right, I'm kind of done with these characters. The movie would cut to a different group of people and kind of following their story. So it was good that you kind of were able to follow all these things. And then they all connected at the end and that the party that's at the moon tower and you see the building right. uh, of different things with like Mitch with um, Adam Goldberg and uh, Nikki Katz characters, kind of that like confrontation that's coming up. And, and of course, you know, Matthew McConaughey's character just kind of is kind of the thread that is in some ways kind of tying all these different storylines together. He's kind of appearing at different parts of the movie. So I want to go back to uh, the hazing thing on the freshman. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know. I mean, granted i didn't go to school in the 70s, so I don't know what the level of, like, when I went to school, obviously, there was a little bit more rigor around preventing people from getting haze and stuff like that. But, like, the paddling, I don't even get that. To me, that's such a, that feels very much like a Revenge of the Nerds, you know, 1970s yeah. fraternity type initiation than just chasing down freshmen and beating the crap out of them with a, with custom wooden paddles that they all have and, like, love and they, like, have their, paint their little things on them. It's just kind of... uh kind of crazy and of course i mean affleck does an amazing job playing like that over the top oh you know villain in obanion i don't know if he's ever really played a villain much in his career but he does a pretty solid job in this movie um yeah that's a good point one one of the things that was funny is his uh there's that part where i think it's when he finally so i think it's finally when he gets mitch and he kind of has that quote Sit on that bench there, all right, and just squeal like a pig. Whee! Whee! <laughs> Which is from Deliverance, where, where he's like, I mean, that movie came out in 1972, so yeah, kind of you know, the reference holds holds tight in that thing and did he was he the one who had a pa system in his truck no somebody else had a pa system in their truck which i just thought was really funny i don't know if that was super popular in the 70s i know like cb radio was but i mean i knew a kid in high school who had a pa system in his jeep which was just kind of weird he would drive around the neighborhood and yeah that is go off on his pa system pretty strange thing i mean it's weird enough in the movie i don't understand why they have it like that it's I mean, you'd see it in like a police car or something, but they were just in a pickup truck. Yeah, kind of odd. And then the the dichotomy between the the hazing the girls versus the boys. The boys get the crap beat out of them and paddled, and the girls have to lay on the ground and get ketchup and mustard and stuff poured all over them. It was just sort of a weird. Right. 
I felt like we were missing something with some sort of backstory. Not that we really need it, but there was just, it just felt odd that that was a huge part of the movie. But there was really no reasoning as to why, like, other than it was some sort of weird tradition, but just kind of accepted by everybody that they were going to get paddled. Yeah, Linkletter had said in the uh, director's version that that was something he observed when he was in high school. That's just how it was. Maybe not to that extremeness, but there was definitely like paddling of the guys. And then the girls, he said, always seemed like they got off easy. They still had weird things that they did. I mean, I certainly never observed that when I was in high school, which was, you know, mid 90s, early to mid 90s. I'm sure that's a regional thing. And that's also like a a time period thing. It kind of works in this movie. To your point, there's not much of a backstory on it, but you just kind of accept it. What I didn't really accept was that while they're shouting over the PA system in the beginning. It's your lucky day. Usually you'd be spending your freshman summer to get your asses busted and running for your worthless little lives. But this year, because we feel so sorry for you, we're going to take it easy on you and save us all a lot of time. So if you meet here, right here, after school today, you only get one lick from each of us. But you run like cowards. Well, it's open season all summer long, boys. And the teacher's just sitting there kind of like chuckling and laughing about it. He's sitting at his desk like he hears everything, but he doesn't care. That was really funny. None of this would happen today. All those teachers would be fired for, you know, knowingly. You know, all those kids would have gotten arrested. It was just, uh, yeah, just kind of a, I don't know, just kind of a crazy thing. I think a lot of that is not just to show like these guys being like mean or trying to beat up these kids, but it's showing how boring of a town and how sad these older guys' lives are. They're literally wasting their Friday night hanging out at a Little League game yeah. <laughs> just to try to paddle one kid. That scene was crazy. Which they do for like a minute. And then they're like, all right, let's go find like a party or, or go to that bar. That's a really good point, because this movie took place in uh, in Texas, like outside of Austin, Texas, you know, which I think if you watch any type of high school movie um, that takes place in Texas, it's clear or small towns, really. That's the kind of stuff. Uh, Friday Night Lights is a good the, the television series kind of yeah. showed that a lot where there was just, you know, all that's there was football. So that's what they focused on. And, you know, just kind of the random crap that they would do outside of that. But yeah, I mean, it's really, oh, hey, we're just going to go get a bunch of beers and um go hang out at the moon tower and there's going to be a big party. And Matthew McConaughey's character, uh, Wooderson definitely embodies that small town. I don't really have anything else to do. I'm going to come back and, you know, hang out at the high school and <laughs> creepily just kind of goes after the high school girls. What says, I think the, the line he has where he's like, that's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older. They stay the same age. They just, <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of his classic lines, which, uh, yeah, not so great. Let's uh, officially transition to the acting here since we've kind of been talking about that for a while. I, I feel like for a first role, Matthew McConaughey was great in this. And some of those lines that he did, I, I think that the... All right, all right, all right was improvised he had said that he based the character off of his older brother but oh, like nice. wooderson the, the way he walked the way he talked just his mannerisms and everything he was like that was my older brother through and through but yeah i mean I, he stole the sh- he stole the show like yeah 
And I think that's why they, they as they were watching him perform, they knew they were watching a breakout performance. And I mean, he went on. I think he did a couple um, smaller roles, you know, where he wasn't the main character. You know, I think he was in like the um, Disney movie Angels in the Outfield. That was like his next like biggest role. He had a couple of really small character roles in between that. But his real breakout after Days and Confused, he was the main character in A Time to Kill. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's no. a James Patterson novel, a courtroom drama, but really good. It's uh, he, He's an attorney, I think, in, uh, is he in Louisiana, I think? Uh, Samuel Jackson is in that as well. Uh, Kevin Spacey. Sounds like uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I think Kevin Spacey was in that too. Really, you know, it's about race. It's uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's in that. Actually, uh, Nikki Cat is in that movie too. He's one of the... Uh, He's one of these like super hick white supremacist guys. He and another his buddy they attack and um, ass- uh, assault this like twelve year old girl, twelve year old African American girl whose father is um, played by Samuel L. Jackson. And then he comes in and he um, he kills both of them as they're being ar- like they're being transported oh, through the court. I, think I did see this. And then Matthew McConaughey defends him in um, yeah, in the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a really good thriller movie. Um, who else is in that? What's her face is. Um, Sandra Bullock is in that movie as well. Great movie. Not in the Criterion Collection, but a uh, solid movie. So yeah, I mean, he, I mean, I, and clearly he was gone on to win an Academy Award. You know, he's a phenomenal actor. I think he went through a, a period there where he was just doing a lot of, you know, mainstream movies, always managed to take a shirt off in every movie that he was in, but um, has gone on to do a lot more serious movies. Sahara, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yeah. And he was in that with uh, Adam Goldberg was one yeah, of his best yeah, friends. Yeah, he was. He was in that, yeah. Obviously, um, Dallas Buyers Club was a great movie. And he's really good in the movie um, Mud with, uh, I think, um, Reese Witherspoon's in that. But that's a really, he plays a really good character in that movie. Uh, kind of didn't really get much traffic on that uh, in the box office and stuff, but I thought it was a good movie. So And uh, Interstellar, of course. Oh, yeah. That's a great movie. Really great movie. But yeah, I mean, you have, uh, like, obviously Ben Affleck, the other one who comes out of this movie being a huge, huge star. I would say everyone else, I mean, you know, I think Parker Posey kind of had her moments in mm-hmm. in like the 90s, early 2000s. I mean, everyone else kind of came out of here, had fairly, a handful of them had fairly steady careers as like character actors. There's a handful, like Mitt, uh, a guy who played Will, uh, Wiley Wiggins, he didn't do anything. Like this yeah. was like the only movie he ever did. But yeah, I think overall that I would say most of the acting was really good. I didn't think Wiley Wiggins was great at all. There was a scene where he's, I think, talking to the one girl. And he's like constantly grabbing his nose. And I'm just watching that scene being like, oh, my gosh, this acting is terrible. Like, couldn't they have used another take or something? Because this was just horrible, horrible, like performance on that one scene. But it's tough when you have Ben Affleck's way over the top O'Banion villain. And you have Matthew McConaughey, who's like the guy you just every time he's on the screen, you're just like, oh, yeah, he's back again. Right. So Jason London, who was pink, he was in the Aerosmith videos for Crazy and Amazing. Which is oh really another connection to Armageddon from last episode? Yeah, there's a decent amount of Aerosmith. I mean, Sweet Emotion starts. Wasn't there another song, Sweet uh, Aerosmith song in this? Uh, we'll get to that. Or was it just Sweet Emotion? You get to that. <laughs> get to music later. One other actor, Slater, the kind of stoner kid, Rory Cochran. I don't know how much else he's been in, but I think his bigger role was then in Empire Records, and then. One other person that I didn't even spot in this movie. I mean, I guess I saw them, but I didn't you can't really see their face, but on the director's cut, there's a scene where it's the quote you were saying before where 
McConaughey is talking about they keep staying the same age and they're standing outside of the bar along a wall as the girls walk past. The girl who walks past him that he says that line about is Renee Zellweger. Is it really? She has no other part in this movie, but Linkletter said that was her. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, can you tell that it's her? I didn't go back. No, and, and I, I don't think she's even on the credits because she has, she might've been in the, the full movie credits. She's not on IMDb. Oh, then she probably didn't get credited because they would even list her on the movie on IMDb as uncredited. Yeah. I mean, that I doubt this movie affected her. Cur- I mean, maybe it helped her get another role just because it was on her uh, resume. Yeah. She might've gotten her SAG card. Yeah. But Ben Affleck, you know, I really didn't, I didn't like his character in this movie, but I think he played that character very well. He's such a jerk. I mean, even his like, quote, friends don't really seem to like him that much. The scene kind of midway or maybe a little more than midway through the movie where the geeky kids finally get revenge on him and dump the paint on his head. Yeah, that was great. Everybody, including his friends, are laughing at him as he like skulks away. And that was also done in, they only had one shot to do that because he get. I mean, he's covered in paint. It was the first shot they did. It hits his head. It kind of pauses. He looks up, dumps on him, stomps away to his car. And that's the shot they used. Oh, not yet. Oh, it's getting warmer. What the? Remember me, you pig? To be able to pull that off in one shot and not flinch ahead of time or anything like that. I'm not a huge Affleck fan, but I thought he did a good job. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think he was a great character in this in this movie. You know, again, like we said, some of the weak acting, you do kind of see it because you don't really see much from Jason London from, and Pink's character. But I did kind of like how he kind of expressed that he was the good guy in, in the aspect of this because you know, Mitch gets paddled or whatever. He doesn't really hit him and kind of gives him a ride home and invites him to like a party later on. And, you know, I think that's the part of the movie that's interesting is that he doesn't really, um, there's not much to his character. You know, I think had he been in more, I think it would have, the movie would have centered around him a little bit more. And whatever his, you know, internal debate is over, you know, what it is he wants to do next year. I think at the, towards the end of the movie, when they're in the football field, he kind of has a quote where he says, uh, yeah, look, I mean, all I'm saying is that if I ever start referring to these as the best years of my life, remind me to kill myself. Right. So I think that's kind of the difference between a bunch of these characters where you have Pink, who is uh, looking at like, oh, man, I have to go back for another year of this crap. Like, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to be the guy I've been the past three or four years. Uh, and you have these other guys who are like, these are the best years of my life. Like, they don't, they're not looking forward and thinking that there's more to it. Somebody like O'Banion, who has failed multiple times, clearly, like that he should have probably graduated a few years ago, or even have uh, Wooderson coming back to high school all the time. Like, that's all that he's got. Right. That was his life. That's, that's where he was a hero. And now he's just pretty much a nobody. Yeah, I think Pink is really the John Cusack of this movie. Yes. Yeah. He's kind of friends with everybody, but not like great friends with anybody he kind of keeps the peace he jumps in when there's the fight at the party and kind of breaks people up right yeah i mean he was a very kind of mediocre character which is why his taking a stand on not signing that drug promise thing seemed so i don't know it seemed so strange even his friends say it i can't believe this you act like you're so oppressed then you guys are kings of the school you get away with whatever you want what are you bitching about 
to him, it's like the principle of the thing. But he, he read, he doesn't really get into that a whole lot. And his character is so laid back about everything else that it just, that part just seemed out of place. I think it would have made more sense if his friend Don or one of those other more like macho guys would have been the one saying like, no way, we're not doing that. Yeah. There was kind of a, um, a theme that was in that as part of that storyline that was, you know, they don't want to be controlled. They don't want to be told what to do. They're kind of that rebelling, which would fit into a uh, into, hey, we're seniors. We're done. Here's the middle finger. We're not going to we're done with you. Right. But I guess that's what makes this movie good is is that they're not. They have to go back to a next year of, of school. And I think the character Pink has that senior perspective almost that like he's kind of the outlier in that in his mindset, he's graduating and like he's already done with high school. He's ready to move on to the next phase of his life. So he's got to, you know, he's got to deal with all this stuff again. And he's just like, you know what? Like, I'm done. Like, I just want to be done with all of you and all of this. And I just want to move on because he kind of even like blows his friends off a little bit. He's not really like he's kind of hanging out with him, but he's really not like he just wants to do his own thing and not be told what to do. He's saying goodbye to somebody more than midway through the movie. And uh, he says, Not John Boy. Oh, yeah. Which is a classic line from the Waltons. <laughs> yeah, it's so, a great, great Walton. Stay tuned for um, Jim's <laughs> podcast where he plans to watch every single episode of the Waltons and talk about it. Hey, so that's a, coming it's a good soon. Show. Again, that's such like a chill, mediocre show, low stakes, low conflict. And for him as this like high school quarterback, kind of tough guy, it just, it, there were just all these things that just kind of seemed out of place for him. As far as cinematography goes, I didn't really pick up on much in this movie. I think there was a lot of kind of muted colors, browns and greens. And I said earlier, he doesn't use a lot of steady cam in this. It's mostly handheld shots. I didn't think there were any like super well composed shots, but I did feel like there was a ton of almost street racing, classic car type of scenes. Not with anyone's really racing each other. But he, you could tell, and, and in the director's version, he talks about it, that he just, uh, Linklater loved having the ability to put these, what we would call classic cars, but at the time, I guess they weren't really that classic uh, in these shots. Cars that there's no way these high school kids should be able to afford. And there's even a scene where McConaughey has the hood open on his car and he's just talking engine talk. Let me tell you what Melvin Post is packing right here. I've got 411 Posi track out back, 750 double pumper, Edelbrock intake, scored over 30, 11 to 1 pop-up pistons, turbojet, 390 horsepower. We're talking some... It's just that love of cars. I would say that, like, it's a small town. These kids have nothing to do, so their money's spent and put into their cars, and they're probably people who grew up learning how to restore their cars, take care, you know, like be mechanics. So they're able to maybe it didn't seem like any of them had jobs. So I don't know. Cinematography wise. I, I mean, it's a, it was a super low budget indie film. It's not a film you watch for sweeping cinematography and amazingly lit shots. I think, right. You know, it was kind of like run and gun. We're going to have three takes on this shot, get it lit, get it going. We have to move on to the next scene. You know, maybe they're shooting like trying to get like five, pages six pages done a day which is a lot from a film perspective yeah so yeah no definitely not really much on from a cinematography perspective there was one shot almost the very end of the movie it was the the only helicopter shot in the whole movie i think link letter said it was added in post so i don't even know if the car that's on the highway is not even the same car from earlier in the movie but it's helicopter shot of the car driving away then you're inside the car with kind of our main characters after their 
leaving the football field after they got busted. But I think that was the most expensive shot in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that they have a huge like helicopter shot in in a in a film like this. It's like, oh, hey, we had some extra budget. Let's go spend some money on that. Speaking of budget, I know that they did. You know, we could transition to talking about the the music in this film because I think that's yeah, yeah. one of the things that it's best known for. But they did spend like a majority of this film's budget on trying to get the rights to be able to uh, yeah. to acquire um, all the songs that were in here. There was no like unknown band really that was being featured in this. They're all very popular uh, 70s music. Yeah, Linklater said he waived all his rights so they could pay for the music. He said he doesn't make any money off of this movie because there's so many. I was writing them down and I mean, this there has to be like 30 songs I wrote down and I'm sure I missed some, but it's just, it's everybody like Alice Cooper, Bob Dylan, ZZ Top. Uh, Foghat, Peter Frampton, Kiss, mm-hmm. Aerosmith, Deep Purple, everybody's on here. That's so much money. And uh, I think the soundtrack, he said, from the movie did better than the movie itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I would believe that. This movie isn't as good if it doesn't have the music to it. Yeah. I mean, you insert lesser known songs or more like stock sounding 70s songs to to fill those areas. But no, I think... like. You watch this movie, everybody knows those songs, which is funny because the audience for this movie is when it came out was probably not the audience, the people being portrayed in the movie. Right. This movie ended up becoming popular amongst college age kids, high school age kids in the 90s. Yeah. But yet this, the music is so iconic and just goes across generations that it was still impactful. That was one of the things he said that he fought with the studio over is that they wanted to just use modern music, like 90s songs on top of the movie. And he said, no, it's got to be the 70s music. That's the whole point of doing this is to have it be that time period. Yep. Which is like American Graffiti, too. You compare these two movies pretty closely, but the soundtrack in that movie is huge as well. The only song I think that was not not a popular song was the song that Mila... Yovovich was playing on the guitar at the party and it was one of her own songs a song on one of her albums watch them fly away watch them He let her put that in because it was, you know, she's kind of like a hippie in this movie. So it was supposed to be like her just playing a song. Right. Yeah. Fits the character. There was a, I don't know if this was on purpose, but there's a scene where uh, a couple of the younger kids, um, the one who has like the blonde bowl cut, I don't remember all these kids' names because there's so many of them. It's a nighttime shot. They had gotten like caught by the older guys and like paddled and they're walking down the middle of a road kind of talking about it. And one of them has an empty bottle in his hand and he just like tosses it up in the air behind him and it shatters on the road and all three kids start running. And as they start running, the song Fox on the Run starts playing. He flunks his senior year so he can be a dick two years in a row. Is that legal? Damn you, Carl! <laughs> Thank you. 
One of the kids who's in that shot, his last name is Fox, Jeremy Fox. He was one of Mitch's friends. Mm -hmm. So it seems weird. They didn't say anything on the director's commentary, but it just seems very weird that the person's name is Fox and they start playing the one song that has the word Fox in the title at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was totally intentional. Nah. The other thing I thought was strange about the music was that there was no Led Zeppelin. I imagine that was like probably way too expensive. Linkletter was saying they weren't letting anybody use their music for any type of, you know, movie or commercials or anything. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. He said he did get Jimmy Page's permission, but Robert Plant would not sign off on it. Mm. He didn't mention this at all, but the name of the movie is Dazed and Confused, and Led Zeppelin has a song called Dazed and Confused. Yeah. And I was wondering if that was maybe supposed to be the theme of the movie and they just couldn't get it. I imagine it probably was. And I mean, the title is so good. It's, it kind of sums up the movie really, really well. Yeah, it really does. It's a shame they that couldn't be like the theme. I mean, the song isn't that great. I don't know if it really would add yeah. much to the movie, but they I, they have so many other songs. It's it's an amazing soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably one of the best movie soundtracks that there is. I mean, we did... Um, one of the first movies we did was uh, The Big Chill, which again, I think that movie in a way kind of defined the movie soundtrack using lots of popular music. And also in Days and Confused, there's not a lot of instances in which the characters are interacting or kind of hearing the song being played. Right. In some scenes it is. There's a few on the yeah, there's like, a few scenes. car stereo or something. Right. And in The Big Chill, the, the songs kind of the characters are singing along to them or it's right. kind of like moving the plot along a bit. And was done in an interesting way where that movie takes place, you know, years after the music that's being played in the movie because it's all the music that they're going back to and thinking about. And I think that's what helps with this because, you know, if you're watching this movie, if you're watching Days and Confused and you went to high school in the 70s, this music is going to like, you know, bring a smile to your face. It's going to get you to engage with the movie more because you, you know, it, it, it was the soundtrack of your right. high school age. Yeah. So. From a Criterion Collection perspective, I know we try to always talk about like, oh, why do we think this film is in the Criterion Collection? Honestly, I do think it's, you know, it's an iconic, it's a cult film. Mm -hmm. It's probably the definition of what Criterion Collection movies really are. It's this movie that studios kind of pushed aside and they didn't really do much with it. And it's kind of just lived on as this movie that was on television all the time or movie that played in theaters um, in the 90s. And it's definitely done better on DVD and years after that it came out than it did initially when it was released. Being able to kind of put it together and um, keep it in this moment and uh, also be a way to, you have kind of a time capsule where you could go back and look at all these actors whose careers, you know, skyrocketed right, right. after this and really see, you know, really, really where they went. And I think Linkletter, it seems like he's almost like a Wes Anderson as far as Criterion's concerned. They have several of his movies. So I think Everything you've said about this movie, I agree with. I think that's the majority of the reasons that this particular movie is in. It does seem like they enjoy his movies as a director. And I feel like a lot of his movies have similar themes to them. So that could be the style and the theme that they look for in a movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I do think, again, it's in a genre type of movie. It's you know, I wouldn't necessarily classify it as like a stoner film. No. I mean, I think I think it gets that reputation. Uh, granted, you know, they're definitely smoking pot a lot in the movie, but I think you get a lot from like Matthew McConaughey's character. I think he kind of portrays that like I'm the stone dude kind of just like going along with everything. 
And, yeah. uh, he probably drinks more than he smokes. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I definitely think it's a, it's a great iconic high school movie. You know, we talked about it earlier, just that idea that it's unique in that it's the majority of these kids are going back to school that next year. And I think that's kind of the theme that's there. You know, Wooderson says his speech when they're on the football field is probably, you know, probably best sums up the movie and kind of talks about that piece of paper, the, the contract for not doing drugs that Pink has to sign that he's still debating about. And they're all sitting there and Wooderson's like, Man, it's the same bullshit they tried to pull in my day. You know, if it ain't that piece of paper, some other choice they're going to try and make for you. You got to do what Randall Pink Floyd wants to do, man. Let me tell you this. The older you do get, the more rules you're going to try to get you to follow. <laughs> you just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. <laughs> do you think he was referring or supposed to be referring to like Vietnam there? Yeah, I mean, it could be referring to, to lots of stuff. I think it's also his perspective in that, you know, you're in high school, man. Like, where do you get out of high school and you get into the real world? It's just things you got to sign after things you got to sign, rules you got to follow. It's just the way that, you know, just the way that the world is. If you got an opportunity to push back against the man, then you should push back against the man and, and revolt and just go on with your life. Wooderson's just, you know, he's definitely L-I-V-I-N. He's just like a huge slacker who hangs out at high school and picks up like, you know, teenage girls. Cynthia, who doesn't have a whole lot of lines in the movie, she says, Because if we're all going to die anyway, shouldn't we be enjoying ourselves now? You know, I'd like to quit thinking of the present, like right now, as some minor insignificant preamble to something else. And then later, Don, who's Pink's friend, says... All I'm saying is I just want to look back and say that I did it the best I could while I was stuck in this place. Had as much fun as I could when I was stuck in this place. Played as hard as I could when I was stuck in this place. I mean, he's basically just saying he wants to look back and say he had the best time he could while they're in this period of their life when what else is there to do? I think that's where um, that quote I mentioned earlier from Pink, where he says, if I prefer to these as the best years of my life, I'll kill myself. Yeah. Which is funny because I, I think we all know, you know, when you were in high school, you probably could be there and, and look around at your classmates and be like, ah, oh, that guy is going to be one of those people who never stops talking about what happened at high school or comes back to watch the football games and the basketball games. Oh, yeah. You know, you know 20 years later, they're still the one. We had that when I was in high school. There were kids that. Yeah. I mean, they would come back. I I was in the, I believe we've mentioned this before, I was in the band, but there were kids that had graduated years before that just would come back every year and just hang out like while we would be doing practices and going to football games. And it's like, don't you have like other places to be, man? Like, I don't know. I don't think I ever, from the year I graduated, I don't think I ever went back for a single game, homecoming, any of that. Like, I don't, it's high school. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I went back I, a few times, but my brother was three years younger than me, so he was going to the high school. So still had a little bit of a connection there. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what Wooderson's character is. He's that guy who just, you know, he can't shake high school. He's dazed and confused. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Criterion on the Couch. You can find the show notes at Criterion on the Couch slash dazed and confused. Next time, we'll be discussing Michael Mann's 1981 film starring James Kahn, Thief. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Criterion Couch. And on Instagram, we're at Criterion on the Couch. I'm Adam Yurick with... Jim Massessa.
Thanks for listening. See you next time.